Interestingly enough, they're very important feelings for human beings because they're the three feelings uh, that mean that we are the dominant species on the planet because we could experience those three feelings meant that we did very well on an evolutionary basis because disgust stopped us poisoning ourselves. Anxiety meant we were alert to threat and shame kept us living within groups. Uh, unfortunately, in the 20th and now the 21st century, those feelings still prevail in our bodies around different issues, you know. And I was brought up in a very strict Catholic, um, well, very strict, very orthodox Catholic background. And there was so much shame that was, that just, I ended up just feeling wrong. That was the feeling that I had, the, sh the feeling of shame, that just that there was something wrong with me, something I miss, you know. Malachi Dunn and this is Time to Talk. Welcome to Time to Talk. My name is Alex Holmes and here I speak to interesting people about mental health, emotional resilience and ways we can show up for ourselves and others to lead a resilient life. This week it's time to talk about shame and anxiety with Malachi Dunn. This is an important in conversation to me. As someone who works very specifically within the three tenets of recovery, rebuilding and reconnection as a resilience coach, speaking to Malachi was a great experience in learning how we come to terms with self-acceptance and self-love. Most importantly, his recovery from addiction. But we also have a chat about anxiety and what that is and why we feel shame. He laid it out to me quite clearly and I hope that it makes it very clear to you guys as well. But we also speak about humanistic therapy and his clinic, Lifetime Therapy. But who is Malachi Dunn? Malachi Dunn is a counsellor and educator situated in Cornwall. He is the founder of Lifetime Therapy, uh, a humanist and people-centred practice. They believe that given the appropriate conditions, every individual has limitless capacity to heal, to come to new thoughts and beliefs and to change the way they view the world others and themselves it's an amazing conversation i have deep admiration for malachi dunn don't forget to rate review and subscribe and share among as many people as you can let's get the word out that here is a place for confident wholehearted and compassionate conversation you can also pre-order my book time to talk how men think about love belonging and connection head over to alexholmes.co forward slash book and you can pre-order that it is out on the 1st of april and it has a ton of conversations and personal anecdotes as to how to find self-love, self-acceptance, self-forgiveness, accept and appreciate vulnerability, look at your friendships, look at your relationships, so many different tidbits in there. I can't wait for you all to read it, but go to alexholmes.co forward slash book and you can read Time to Talk, How Men Think About Love. So... Let's get into some ads. This episode of Time to Talk is brought to you by BetterHelp. When I first started going to therapy, it was one of the hardest things I could ever do. Because it was one of the most vulnerable things that you can ever do, sitting in front of somebody and sharing your deepest, darkest self and going through a process of healing, that wasn't the first part that was hard. The first part that was hard was finding a therapist. So I'm proud to say that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
and BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. Note, it's not a crisis line, it's not self-help, it's professional counselling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas, but we are in a pandemic and the more help we can get, the better. So visit betterhelp.com, time to talk 21. That's betterhelp.com forward slash time to talk 21 and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional and get 10% off your first month. The service is available worldwide, guys, so there's literally no excuses. It's that simple. Head over to betterhelp.com forward slash time to talk 21 and you can get 10% off today. Let them know I sent you BetterHelp. Now, buckle up, stay encouraged and be brave. Let's talk to Malachi Dunn. Welcome, Malachi to time to talk thank you very much it's really good it's taken us a while to get to this place we've had various um you know we've had various attempts at doing it and it's really nice it's really nice to um to finally be face to face even though it is remotely yeah yeah um and it's been um you know speaking to you has been a joy like we remember we had our conversations and it's just that and I would love to I've always wanted to share those kind of conversations with, with the audience and um you have an amazing story and whatnot but it's also just I love I love kind of connecting with people just based on kind of just based on um synergy and sometimes just pure randomness <laughs> you know yeah. um and that's and that's and that's some of the time some of the best things that's where some of the best conversations come out and um so i wanted to just ask like how are you doing with like regards to all of this stuff that's happening in the world um right now how am i happening with this stuff well i think one of the things that i'm really grateful for is that life has taught me to be resilient so when this really bewildering event happened. I think I might have been in a better place emotionally than many other people to to negotiate it. That negotiates a good word, really, uh, because I think we had to give a, give a bit and take a bit. Um, I was actually in Venice in February, so I, I had a kind of early forewarning of it i went to venice for my 60th birthday and i was there and it was very strange to see people beginning to wear masks and Mm -hmm. and i found myself like many others thinking that was a bit strange laughing thinking people were overreacting and uh, and then we came back and the creeping threat or what felt like a threat you know Mm -hmm. um, emerged and I'm really aware that many people were really knocked off centre by the lockdown and by the, you know, the the, the huge numbers of people who were um, who were falling, uh, what almost like what felt like falling prey to this virus, and, mm. and and I was lucky, I think, to be able to be quite steady for a lot of people, 
you know, uh, as I'm a therapist, I'm a counsellor, and I'm also a, a supervisor for a lot of counsellors. I, I mm. work with an organisation that offers uh, low-cost counselling to, to people in, in, down here in Cornwall. And uh, many of the counsellors themselves were bewildered. Um, and I was lucky to be able to support them. I've worked mm. remotely for a long time myself. And... Uh, I'm a bit tired now, you know, it's yeah. been a long time. Uh, I've worked hard through this times and, um, and I have to say that self-care isn't my strong suit. Okay. It, 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 you know, I'm, I'm not the best at practicing what I, I I'm not going to say preach because I'm not a great preacher, but what I invite others to do. I'm always a great believer in the power of invitation rather than uh, telling people what to do. What do you mean by the power of invitation? Well, this is a, a silly little thought experiment, Alex. If I say to you, don't think about a pink elephant, your mind invariably goes. Our mind always resists what it's told to do or what mm. it's told not to do. But it, it often is tempted by an invitation or if we elicit curiosity in people's minds, it's more mm. likely to go there without resistance. So that's what I mean by the power of invitation. It's a subtle, more, more inviting way of getting people to consider concepts. Yeah. Because I'm a natural rebel. You know, part of my, a lot of my early life was a rebellion. And um, when people tell me what to do, I, I resist. You know, yeah. My first reaction is to resist. Yeah. Hopefully I can move beyond reaction quicker now to response and, um, and, and maybe do what people want me to do. But when people tell me to do things or tell me not to do things, my reaction is to do the opposite. And our mind is a bit like that. Yeah. Well, my, my, my mind is, and if my mind is, most other people's will be, because I'm just a human being, you know? Yeah, yeah, I definitely hear that. Definitely hear that. And it's interesting what you said about the rebellious streak as well, um, which I'll come to a bit later. But um, what is the quote that you've, want to bring to the conversation today like a recording the recording bring to the table today look i'm going to be cheeky and i'm going to ask if i can bring two okay go for it yeah the rebellious the... nature malachi well no i well, <laughs> you know i'm an old man now i'm i'm as i said i'm 60 and I, you know i this is the time in life in my life to be cheeky yeah you know? stick my neck out and ask for what I want you know so anyway my first quotation comes from a man called Carl Rogers and I think we've talked a bit about Carl Rogers before and he is the founding father we could say of person-centered therapy he took he 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 devised the therapy he called it client-centered therapy and it's more often called person-centered therapy and his quotation and i've got it on the wall of my office just out there it says the curious paradox is when i accept myself just as i am then i can change 
Okay. And that really informs a lot of my work because sometimes acceptance is the change. And, and we can have a really difficult situation that we're not accepting and it's really, mm. really difficult. Yeah. And just by accepting a situation, it can, there can be a tiny shift that makes a big difference. And my second quotation, mm-hmm. he said, very cheekily putting it in, is one of my, one of my own. Um, and it, um, it says, at times, all we need is a good listening to. Yeah. So the power of being heard and being listened to is often underestimated. And when somebody knows that we're listening to them just to hear what they're saying rather than to get our reply ready to play mm-hmm. that conversational tennis, it's a very powerful healing medium, I believe. And I see it happen all the time. Yeah, I bet you would in, in your line of work and the things that you do and, and see like every day. And um, But yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I, love the, I love the Carl Rogers quote and I love your quote equally. Um, so just to kind of jump off the, I'm going to, I'm going to go through both of those quotes through our conversation, but just to go through from the Carl Rogers quote, how do we achieve self-acceptance? How do we achieve self-acceptance? Well, I think the thing about acceptance is people know the word, but don't really know what it means. Like many words, they don't really know what they have to do and what it mm. looks like and what the task of acceptance is. And for me, it, often the easiest place to start with acceptance is to work out what it isn't. Mm. And that narrows down the field a bit. And it's not, and it gets confused with three things understanding, trying to know why, the, asking why of a thing. And it's, it's not, acceptance is not understanding. Acceptance is not resignation. This is how it is and this is how it will always be, which is a really heavy feeling. Mm. And it's also not tolerance. I can put up with this. Acceptance is just the knowledge that this is how things are right now. And it's about being in the moment. That's That's... The essence of it for me is about this is how it is right now. And it may be different another time and it may have been different in the past. So, and it's just, acceptance is a strange thing because it's a mixture of thought and feeling. It's an attitude Mm. rather than just the feeling. Mm -hmm. So it's knowing it and feeling it. and, And when we arrive at acceptance, it's a really light feeling. Mm. how do we get there right okay now often people try to accept things that are far too far too difficult to accept so i like to think of it as some well sometimes i like to think of it as a gym Mm. and we go along to the gym and and you i don't know if you work out i've i've trained a bit over the years and i still train a bit 
And often my tendency is to try and lift things that are too heavy for me. I get hurt, I get injured, and then I have to stop. Now, with, with some good guidance, what I'll do is lift the appropriate weight and get stronger. And the same with acceptance. If we begin to accept things that are acceptable to us, we get better at accepting because acceptance is a practice. And the more we practice it, the better we get. And often with a difficult situation that we can't accept, the best thing to do is just to accept that we can't accept it, Mm. which might sound counterintuitive, but actually what we're doing in accepting that we can't accept something is practicing acceptance and getting better at it, getting building up our acceptance muscles if we go back to the gym. And over time, we, we, we then begin to accept more and more difficult things, concepts, situations, uh, relationships. So we can, we can get better at it through practice. Mm. Okay. Am I making sense there? Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, and the, the thing is, change is often difficult, and it takes work, support, and practice and and another word that can often be unfashionable these days discipline okay you know i would imagine you know what i know about you alex is that you do what you do and you do it consistently and you you put your message out there consistently you record your interviews you you talk about what you read consistently and 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 as you do that you get better at it yeah and it's the same with with human change the more we practice, the better we get. Mm. Uh, what's important, though, is that we, we get the right support, and that's often where my, my role is with people. Mm. Mm. Some guidance, some support. Yeah. It's when, it, um, when it comes to discipline, that's something that is quite um, difficult for a lot of people to... Because a lot of people's first encounter with discipline is quite negative, isn't it? Um, people equate discipline with punishment, and yeah. um and the like yeah yeah um i remember um hearing do you know who i mean by jane fonda say that one more time jane fonda the actress yeah. jane oh, yeah. the, the actress i think she must be 80 now yeah and yeah she's now, great she's great she's an activist and i remember hearing her interviewed and the, the interviewer it was terry wogan he said do you not get bored doing all that exercise and she said, yeah, I do sometimes, Terry. But what I do, because she was an exercise kind of guru in the 70s and 80s before, okay. before she really got into her, her activism. Or, well, I don't know if it was before. Anyway, and she said, yes, I do, Terry. But what I do then is I practice discipline and I do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's been one of the most inspirational quotes in my life. Yeah. You know, I practice discipline and do it anyway. Practice discipline and do it anyway. Yeah. And I, I read a thing the other day. We all the, the ability to tolerate discomfort, minor discomfort, is a superpower. You know, and I, I really enjoyed that. You know, I love my quotes. I have them yeah. all around. They're, they're, they're nuggets. They're small little teachable moments, aren't they? They're just things that you, that you can take them. You can take them out. The, it gets tricky when the person that says it is problematic, but 
sometimes the message in the in the line is is yeah, is quite yeah. impactful it's and powerful. The message, and you know, and be you know, and sometimes, you know, one of my favourite quotes, if 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 we're talking about quotes, is uh, you know, <laughs> we are masters of everything we 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 haven't said and slaves to everything we have. You know, what who who said that? General Franco, the dictator, the fascist dictator in Spain, you know. So there's a great example of liking the quote and not so much liking the quota, you know. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask you about some of the work that you do. And yeah. um, uh, we've had uh, several conversations around, because in looking at, looking into therapy and looking around the different, the many facets and different um um, branches and yeah. areas that you can work in. I came across the humanistic approach, and um, you—that is, to, this is the approach that you use when that's right, when, yeah. doing, when doing your when when practicing your therapy. Um, and I wanted to just a bit of context is that when I was younger and I was looking for and um, wasn't really looking for much, but when I was at school. And, and we would, and we and we had our philosophy and ethics classes, and then there was somebody that was in my class, and um, I was very much a Christian at that point, and she said, "Oh, she's humanist," and I just didn't understand what that meant. I just, I was, I was raised like not that, not that I was forced to believe anything, but it was more like I was just raised with the understanding that anything outside of Christianity is kind of just a different, like a path that is so foreign to. What, what the path that we're on but um so when I so reading up on therapy at this age in my late 20s now and having gone through this kind of spiritual understanding that I've gone through seeing humanistic theory applied to psychotherapy yeah kind of brought back all of those all of that kind of those memories and then the dissonance that I had in my mind around it all so just wanted to see if you could explain what humanistic theory is and then how you utilize it in your in your work yeah well you know for me humanistic therapy puts the person at the center of the therapy rather than the theory so it's about um addressing each person's individual needs and wants and creating a therapy that's different for each of them um, and the therapy is based on the relationship between the therapist and the person who comes for therapy. So that would mm. be my my interpretation, my understanding of humanistic therapy. Mm. It's about people rather than theories of people. Now, of course, there are theories of people within humanistic therapy. Uh, and my... Um, and core to Carl Rogers's theory is that if various conditions exist, then growth it will inevitably occur for people. Mm -hmm. And the essence of those conditions it, uh, are empathy, what he called unconditional positive regard, which I yeah. tend to call compassionate acceptance. Do you explain what unconditional positive regard or yeah you, say it was good? you said unconditional positive he, he regard unconditional positive regard yeah and compassionate acceptance is what you well, call it. I, I call it compassionate 
compassionate acceptance because that yeah. that makes more sense for me. Yeah, acceptance, yeah, what's, what is of people, re- acceptance of people regardless of their behaviour and having compassion for them in their suffering. That's what I would I see that as. Okay. And and the third condition he talks about is congruence, congruence in the therapist, and. What that means for me is that my, I don't even, the people who come to see me, let's, 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 let's say that the people who come to see me get an honest and real experience of me. They don't, they don't meet a therapist, me, they meet me Mm -hmm. with, you know, within, in my humanity. So it's a connection between two humans. Mm-hmm. Do you? And, I was going to ask just how much of yourself do you bring to the sessions that you do? Do people know quite a bit about you when you get into the sessions, or is it just kind of like I'm the therapist, right, you that's, are the person that's, that's come a, to see me? <laughs> that's an interesting question. That's an interesting question. And I taught therapy. Well, I I, I worked at the at, at a college teaching therapy for um five years a few years ago and that's an interesting question and self-disclosure of of the therapist is is an interesting concept and what the wisdom is is that we might not tell our clients facts about ourselves but we would tell them how we feel about things so we disclose our process rather than disclose our information And the reason for that is if I start telling clients information about me, they become interested. It it kind of reverses the osmosis, if that makes sense, the therapeutic osmosis. And they become, they come into my frame of reference. That's the term we use rather than me be in their empathic frame of reference. So to tell them stuff about me isn't useful therapeutically. Now, that's not to say that I offer a blank slate. They still have a real person. And maybe, particularly around some issues, and, you know, we'll maybe talk about what those issues are, I might talk about, I might bring it into the first-person plural. I might talk about we do that, we do that. And and leave it for, for the clients to know that I know what it's like for them just by the simple use of that we. Yeah. Leave them to kind of work that out. Yeah. Rather than give them a lot of information. When I say, well, we do those things, don't we? I could either be talking about humans in general or just me and them in the room. And, you know, Mm. they can, they can, uh, what can I say, perceive my, um, that I have implicit knowledge of their situation. Yeah. Is it a form of protection as well? Or I, I, I don't even know if that's the right word to use because it implies certain things, but do you understand where I'm, what I'm trying to ask? Protection for me or protection or from them. them. It's like a, they've come to you for support, but yeah. they can't know too much about you because it might trigger something that they can't engage with, you know? Yeah. 
yeah, it, it's just not useful therapeutically because yeah. then it would, you see, it, then it would just be a conversation, mm, yeah, not and not a counselling or therapeutic relationship. Yeah. It would be what we're doing. It would be having a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they wouldn't be having a good listening to because I'd be telling them stuff about <laughs> me. Yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely true. So. I wanted to see about that because that, that is that is really that's super interesting and I think that because there are there's so many different types of therapists in the world and there's so many it's that very rare, though. it's, it's very, very rare very mm. rare that you would be in a situation where the purpose of the other person in the room was simply to listen to you and honor your experience yeah and that's 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 priceless yeah yeah I think that is one of the, I've always said that getting into therapy is one of the best investments I'd ever made in myself in my very young years, (laughs) because it just, it helped me understand myself and helped me become a bit more aware of things. And it also provided me with a sounding board of someone to listen to what I'm saying. Yeah. So I wanted to speak to you a bit about your recovery from yeah. things. Yeah. If that is something that you are willing to speak about. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you you know, you, as you said you're a man who's 60 years young. You know, you've seen more things than I've seen hot dinners as they say. So uh-huh. what do you So I Addiction, addiction. Yes. Yeah, addiction is a, a is something that I have lived with. It's 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 my difficult gift. Mm-hmm. Let's call it that. Yeah, your difficult, it's a difficult gift. gift. It's a difficult. It's difficult because on various at various times in my life, it's taken me to some very dark places. Mm. It's a gift because in learning to live with it, I have had to become the person I am today. Okay. And the person I am today, and this is difficult to say, he's doing all right. He's doing okay. Here's a word from our partners this year. All right. So we are in a lockdown, but your beard doesn't have to be. (laughs) More time, I have been looking patchy patchy, especially in the very first lockdown that we had last year. But this doesn't have to be the fate of your lockdown buddy, your male friend or family member as Beardfluence is offering you 15% off site-wide when you use the code time to talk 2021 So that's time to talk 2021 That's 15% off of their Kensington set, which is inclusive of a boar bristle brush, comb and scissors. Everything comes gift-wrapped as a gift to yourself or to someone else. And a little bit about Beardfluence is that it's a high-performance beard care brand focused on targeted treatments such as promoting better growth and helping conditioning. Their flagship product is the Beardfluence Night Oil and is powered by the scent of sandalwood, growth-promoting castor and peppermint oil, and hemp seed oil, which helps resolve beard itching. So all you have to do is go to their Instagram 
at BidfluenceHQ and have a look at the rave reviews to know that it is good for you, your man, and your entanglement. But we don't promote entanglements on this show. We don't do that. So what I'm going to say is that you have to get detangled and get detangled with BidfluenceHQ. Let them know I sent you. So let's get on with the show. This is difficult to say. He's doing all right. He's doing okay. He's he's he generally he's kind to himself, and by being kind to himself, he's he's generally kind to other people. And kindness is the greatest, you know. Probably kindness and attention are the two greatest gifts we can give to anyone. Now, kindness hasn't always been my way with myself. Um. Uh, from a very young age, I found my emotions difficult to cope with. Yeah. And I would try to escape them in any way possible. And as a, as a very young child, I read, and I read myths, and I read, at the age of four, five, six, seven, I was reading the Greek myths, and there was it's just such a great escape to be in another world, you know? Mm. Um. I discovered food was a great mm. way of escaping my feelings. And by the age of 11, I was 11 stone, which is quite heavy for an 11-year-old. You know? It's quite heavy, yeah. It is quite heavy. It is quite heavy. And along with that, uh, along with a body shape like that, because I work a lot with body acceptance now, and I just really like to um, – offer descriptions of bodies rather than evaluations. So I, I had a large body with a lot of fat on at the age of 11. Mm-hmm. And I felt a lot of shame about that already. We get mm-hmm. messages of shame. And one of the things that I did with the shame was eat more, which is really sad for a young boy. Yeah. Um, not long after that, I found alcohol. And that mm-hmm. was a wonderful release from the anxiety that I felt okay. a lot of the time. Pause. When you say not long after 11, <laughs> how, are you, how, how, how close 12, are we to 11? Are we? 12 or 13. Okay. 12 or 13. Okay. And, you know, although it wasn't a continuous and constant relationship, it was, it mm. was whenever it was available, I would mm. always, and I was always aware that I was medicating myself with, with alcohol. Yeah. Uh, my father, my father stopped drinking at the age of thirty, and uh, and died at the age of ninety-two, not having had a drink for sixty-two years. And wow. um, he was a, uh, he was a pioneer, which is a kind of quasi-religious non-drinking thing. And mm. um, oh, okay. And he knew uh, that drink didn't suit him, and I always knew that it didn't suit me. Mm. You know, I used to joke in my 20s, uh, well, I, I used to joke a bit later, I didn't joke in my 20s, that I was allergic to alcohol, that it brought me out in handcuffs. Right. You know? <laughs> so it, I, it got me into trouble. It made me a person I didn't want to be. Mm. And yet, somehow, I kept like a moth to a candle. I went back to it. Mm. Um, and I guess... It was only natural, given my surroundings. I was in living in Manchester at the time, and uh, I would um, that I would move on to other things. And you know, there aren't any drugs that I haven't taken. And I, you know, forty years on from from that, I'm not ashamed to say that that mm. I 
had a difficult time around drugs and I had a difficult time around the procurement of drugs. And I'm probably very lucky that I didn't spend more time in institutions, Mm -hmm. particularly uh, reform institutions, but that was only luck. Uh, I have spent time in various um, rehabs. Mm -hmm. um, And in coming to terms with my difficult gift, I've had to learn to have an effective and compassionate relationship with my own emotions. Mm. So tell me about the recovery. Tell me about recovery. How long have you got? Wow. <laughs> yeah, okay. Tell me about recovery. Well, well, for me, I can't. If addiction is a thing that I do in order not to have my feelings, mm-hmm. recovery is a process of learning to have my feelings so that I don't need to do my addiction anymore. Now, But the trouble with addiction is that it, it's a bit like one of those whack-a-moles at the fairground. You, know, mm-hmm. you, get, you get a handle on one bit, it pops up somewhere else. And it, you know, I, it's popped up in every area of my life. You know, work, relationships, money, debt, um, drugs, alcohol, sex, you know. Mm. Um, and I am capable of doing anything in order to uh, mitigate my experience with my emotions. And I have to maintain an awareness around that even today. Uh, it's a lifelong thing. But in maintaining the awareness, it means that I can have a wonderful relationship with my own emotions and in doing so, hopefully be a healing presence for other people. Which, when we say this question, when we have this question, I mean, I'm, when I speak to a lot of men about uh, the, the trouble that they had with their emotions and um, it does tend to get lost in the word emotions. The emotions get lost in the word emotions. Um, what emotions did you have trouble with? Was it sadness that you had trouble with? Was it anger? Um, I would say anger is an interesting emotion, but Mm. I think the the emotions that I really had difficulty with are just, I call them the big three, shame, anxiety, and disgust. Okay. Um, And they, interestingly enough, they're very important feelings for human beings because they're the three feelings uh, that mean that we are the dominant species on the planet because we could experience those three feelings meant that we did very well on an evolutionary basis because Mm. disgust stopped us poisoning ourselves. Anxiety meant we were alert to threat and shame kept us living within groups. Mm. Uh, Unfortunately, in the 20th and now the 21st century, those feelings still prevail in our bodies around different issues, you know. Mm. And I was brought up in a very strict Catholic, um, well, very, very strict, very orthodox Catholic background. And there was so much shame that was, that just, I ended up just feeling wrong. Mm. That was the feeling that I had, the, sh- the feeling of shame, that just that there was something wrong with me, something I miss, you know? And at the same time, just feeling under threat from, you know, my anxiety was very, very strong. Mm. Uh, and I just always felt under threat. 
Yeah. So feeling wrong and feeling under threat and feeling really, you know, I talked about my body shape before, feeling really disgusted with myself. It wasn't a good mix, you know. It was, a, it, it was one that would be, anybody would be likely to want to medicate. Mm. Yeah. You know? Very interesting. It's like... So in that big in those big three that you said and you kind of gave the description for their for their necessary their purpose you yeah. said and I've yeah. never thought of it that way that yeah. you know that disgust <laughs> is to stop you from poisoning yourself anxiety is to keep you alert and shame is to keep you within a group yeah. but then does it does it bond you does it bind you bond you does it bind you to those things rather than anything well what happens is we just end up reacting to those feelings. You see, think about anxiety for a minute. Anxiety mm-hmm. uh, was to keep us, it, it's to keep us safe, it's to keep us alert from threat. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't live in a world of threat anymore, but the, the part of our brain, the amygdala, where anxiety sits, doesn't know that we're not, we're not surrounded by pressure predators anymore so it, it sees other situations as dangerous mm. you know and anxiety is never an optimist it's, it, your anxiety is never going to say to you alex you're going to be okay your, mm. your anxiety is always going to say watch out there's danger mm. coming because that's what mm. it's that's the only it's the only language it can speak your shame is always going to say to you you're wrong get back with the group anything any any individualism that you feel that's different from other people means that you're wrong. That gets exploited. That gets exploited by advertisers all the time. You know, we run body acceptance workshops um, and, you know, the agony that people go through as a result of advertising and yo-yo dieting, that's all stimulated through shame. It's, um, it's, Mm. it's uh, shocking. You know the the, the the agony that people go through. We try and give them some some freedom from that shame. Yeah, very very insightful. I, when it comes to to healing, uh, when it comes to healing, just as a as a summary, then what what are the what are the ways? What are the what are some of the best ways that we can come to that understanding of healing? Because what I find is that when it's presented that stuff, and I get really, I feel really awkward sometimes when I when I talk about heating and talk about heating. And I talk about healing and um, different ways of uh, healing in that in that sense. And people look at it as empty words, don't they? They look at it as, oh yeah, like emotional healing. Like what does that mean? And um, I wonder if you could kind of give a just a, a, a summary in a sense, um, just to give a good sense of what healing is and why it's so important. Yeah. Okay. Um, so healing, healing, I guess, is when an organism, and we'll talk about a human being an organism, um, when it sets in train processes, to recover from injury. Now, if I cut my arm, if I give it the right conditions, it will heal. There's nothing I can do to make it heal, but I can provide the right conditions 
so that it will heal. So I can keep it dry. I can make sure it doesn't get infected. Um, and it's the same with human beings. There's nothing we can do to heal somebody, but we can provide the conditions so that they can heal. Do you know? Do you know? Do you know what I mean by, by transitive and intransitive verbs? I'm going back to my schoolboy Latin here. Yeah, uh, I do because I'm. A, I'm I love. I love linguistics and language. Okay, okay but, I, but can you? But can you explain for the for the listeners? Okay, a transitive verb has an object. So I kick the ball. Kick there is a transitive verb, and ball is the object. Uh, I am a man is an intransitive verb. Am doesn't have an object, it just is, yeah? So healing is not a transitive verb. It doesn't have an object. I heal and somebody else provides the conditions. That's how I see it, yeah? Just like the cut on my arm heals. I don't do anything. I, I don't make it happen any faster. I just yeah. watch in awe as, as my body heals itself, yeah? And it might leave a mark there. And that, you know, and, and in a way, the beauty, there's a beauty of the mark, as in a memory of the suffering that we've come to a new arrangement with. You know, that's what, that's what a scar is. That's what a scar on, on, on my psyche, my soul, me is, you know. You know, I carry my scars with pride now, you yeah. know, the, the healing from yeah. all sorts of situations, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that's the difference between the, the wound and the scar, isn't it? It's obviously it's the, the wound is still hurt, is still harming you. And the scar is the reminder of, I guess, it could be a reminder of overcoming. Yeah. 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 Um, I wanted to ask you a question, just just yeah, light stuff, just about, um, uh, you know what, it's so funny because I've been presented, um, like Cornwall has been presented to me as this haven of um, free thinkers who, who who live on the coast. And I'm just like, <laughs> and I'm just like, you know what, people might, people might not be wrong, um, considering I come from a very urban and built up city where everybody just kind of thinks insularly insularly if that's a word yeah that's a word um so why did you leave (laughs) why did you leave london and uh, what's what's it like what's it like down there in cornwall what's it like down here in cornwall it's it's a bit like a curate's egg have you ever heard of a curate's egg a what sorry Right. There's an, there's an old story of a, of a very junior priest, a curate, going to the bishop's house for tea. Yeah? And he was given a boiled egg for tea. And the bishop said to him, how's your egg? And, he, and it, the egg was actually rotten. And rather than offend the bishop, he said, it's good in parts. So Cornwall's a bit like that. It's good in parts. There are some amazing people down here. And there's an amazing environment. And there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of really um, dynamic and interesting people who are committed to sustainability. Um, and, and a lot of work goes on he- here 
with regard to sustainability, and I, I'm involved in, in other things apart from therapy myself in that regard. Um, I, have a, I have a strange, not a strange ambition, I have an ambition to plant a million trees before I die. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm creating a vehicle to do that for, my, for me. And that's another conversation we'll have another time, uh, maybe, uh, Alex. Um, but at the same time, there are areas of huge deprivation. And a thing that's difficult for me is very monocultural. It's, it's, um, there's not a great deal of cultural or racial diversity in Cornwall. Mm. I struggle with that. I was brought up in inner city Manchester and uh, many of my school friends were um, as a result of the post-war diasporas in various countries, uh, the, the influx from the colonies, as it was, you know, the yeah. Windrush generation. I went to school with the children of the Windrush generation um, and uh, with Polish and Ukrainian um, children who, uh, who were part of that post-war diaspora. Um, and to come to, uh, and then I spent 20 years in London again. And, mm -hmm. and that, you know, I lived in Camberwell, I lived in um, in the East End, and and then to come to Cornwall and 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 find it so monocultural was difficult. But the trade-off is the environment. You know, to live by the sea, to live in the environment that I do is is just really beautiful. And um, a lot of your work that you do is, it involves nature, doesn't it? It involves getting it outside does. and, does, and yeah. being in, and being in the environment. Being in nature. Yeah. Nature yeah. is, I, I, when I, I, in, in London, I was in the horticulture business yeah. um, and, uh, and I, um, I've always, that is a place where I feel comfortable in, in, in gardens and in growing and in constructing gardens. Um, my offices are always full of plants. Yeah. I like to get there early in the morning and water them. Yeah. I've just, over this lockdown, I've procured four plants, five plants, and they okay, four plants, and they give me um, they just give me, they they give me a sense of grounding, you know, yeah. a sense of just something to look after that is outside of myself. I don't have pets, so like you know, something to look after that's outside of myself, and watching them grow and a new Humility. leaf sprout. Humility is an interesting word, yeah? And the stem for humility is humus, the Latin for soil, yeah? We call talk about humus, soil, ground. So humility is a groundedness, you know? That's where, that's the stem for that word. Mm. And uh, so, you know, so, so when you're looking at plants and... Yeah, looking at plants, getting our, getting our hands in the soil is just a really uh, therapeutic thing to do. And I'd like to sorry, is that the is that the root for human too? Um I don't know if it is. Could very well be. I don't know. Okay. Maybe we, we all come from the you know that we come from the ground and return to it, don't we? <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. All right. Well, we're coming to an end of the of the conversation and it's been an amazing chat with you, as ever. Um, and you too. Yeah, thank you. And um, 
I just want to leave with this one question. And are you optimistic? Am I optimistic? About what's about what's what's happening around you, about the changes that you're seeing, about the kind of the status that we are at in life. What are you are you optimistic? Well, that's a long old question. That, that could have a long old answer. Am I optimistic? Um, partially would be my answer. Partially, but it will require the act, it will require people to wake up and realise that politicians aren't going to do for us what we what we want. And for myself, I, I, I try and act. I try to be an act, an activist, I suppose, is, 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 is what I try to do. So I try and leave places better than I find them. Mm. Regeneration, you know, and whether that is somebody's emotional landscape, the beach, or wherever. Mm. You know, if I can leave the landscape better than I found it, if, if, if we all did that, it wouldn't take long to slow down the deterioration and then to create improvement. Perfectly said. Perfectly said. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It's been really, really nice. And uh, let's not leave it too long, you know? No, absolutely not. And you'd be welcome down here, you know? I'll jump on a coach. It'd probably take me five hours, but I'll get there. On a coach, a bit longer. Five on the train. <laughs> it's five on the train. Oh my god! Yeah, it's about ten on the coach. Oh wow! Okay, so that's a day trip. That's a day or two. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll find. You know, there will be myself. people interested to meet you, and I think I could introduce you to some interesting people. Fantastic. Well, thank you for thank you for joining me. Thank you. <laughs> And that's it for this episode, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you with the next one. It's equally as great as ever. Thank you so much to Pure Creation Media. Shout out to Ryan Nile, my producer and great friend who shows up for me each and every week. I want to thank you so much for doing this as well as thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in each week. And I will see you next time.